0: hey what's up guys it's dave the host of the military millionaire podcast and today we have joseph mccabe who man this guy's incredible uh, a friend of mine had him on his podcast and told me i should get in touch with this guy so i did and i was not disappointed at all joe has scaled vertically his first deal with his partner was 77 units uh and not individual like single family home portfolio uh, craziness and he's got a mortgage company a real estate agency a insurance company a uh, title company. Um, he's going nationwide with his lending. I mean, just doing all kinds of crazy things, just crushing it. So definitely check Joe out, uh, check out this podcast. It's uh, full of just a really cool story for one from everything from army to, you know, bajillionaire, like he's doing very well. And it's a very cool story. Very awesome podcast. You're gonna get a lot out of this. So definitely stay tuned. As always, show notes are found at from military slash podcast. Now relax and enjoy the show.
1: You're listening to the Military Millionaire Podcast, a show about real estate investing for the working class. Stay tuned as we explore ways to help you improve your finances, build wealth through real estate, and become a person that is worth knowing.
2: Hey guys, if you're looking to take your investing, business, life, or just yourself to the next level, then I have something for you. The War Room Real Estate Military Mastermind Group is a mastermind group that meets weekly in small groups of five to six people to help you hold yourself accountable and really experience that growth. But we also have a monthly guest speaker that we bring in, and we've had guest speakers that talk about mindfulness, taxes, we're bringing in somebody to talk about marketing we bring in very specific topics that will adhere to very broad any any kind of real estate investing or investing or entrepreneurship that you want to do and will really help you out and we let you ask these speakers questions and get very personal with them and then Back to the small groups, weekly accountability for what you're trying to achieve, and just being surrounded by like-minded people. And they say your network is your net worth. I know that's an overused phrase, but I recommend that you check it out. So just shoot an email to wrmastermind at gmail.com. Once again, that's wrmastermind at gmail.com, and we'll send you some more information.
0: Hey, what's up, everybody? It's Dave with the Military Millionaire Podcast, and I'm here with Joe McCabe. Joe did uh, six years in the Army as a active reservist in the... Uh, well, I'll let you tell him. him tell you his job this is pretty cool, and now he does uh, basically everything. He's a real estate agent, a lending uh, officer. He's a uh, got a title company. Uh, it's pretty cool. So we're, it's going to be fun to hear how all of this transpired. But uh, Joe, welcome to the show.
1: Hey, thanks for having me on, Dave. I appreciate it.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about your story?
1: Sure. Yeah. So I um I was kind of raised in a, a police military household my entire life. Um, so one thing I knew was that I was joining the army one way or another, and, uh, I was going to be a cop. So those are the two things I knew growing up when I, uh, I went to Penn state for two years after high school. Um, and if anybody's from Philly listening, I went to father judge, uh, so I'm a local guy. Um, but I went to, uh, Penn state for two years. I was doing ROTC there. And at some point through freshman year, I had switched my, uh, career path to, uh, military police officer, but specifically CID. And it took them about a year extra to catch on to that and say, you know, you can only be enlisted and be CID, right? So I uh, there were many nights that I shouldn't have been doing PT because I was too hungover, that I was doing PT for no reason. Uh, so I'm not happy about that. But uh, I end up enlisting right after sophomore year of uh, college. I kind of rushed through that entire summer. And I actually couldn't even take uh, an MP job. I had to start with um, cable systems installer, um, which is cool job, but miserable. I, I hated it. Like making fiber optic cables. And, and I was just like, this is not what I wanted to do. I just needed to get in the army. Yeah. So I report to my first unit while like going to school simultaneously and getting my real estate license and working at like GNC, either GNC or LA fitness, something like that. But point is, I'm like, I, I show up at this unit. And I start finding out that they've been non-deployable for like seven plus years. They are the unit with like the highest suicide rate when they came back from Iraq. Like there was just a really, really bad, um, just stigma to this unit. So I rough it out for maybe two drills and I finally go up to the drill sergeant who used to be a Philly cop and was an active CID agent. And uh, he knew my dad and I just kind of said, man, I, I don't think that I can come back to this unit. Um, you know, I'm probably just not going to show up for drill anymore. Um, and I was kind of a little smart. and I knew they don't really do anything to you. if You do that anyway. So I, he's like, well, what do you want to do when you get out of the military? And I said, well, it's not when I get out of the military. I'm going to be a cop in like less than a year. Um, and then eventually I want to go fed. And he's like, well, if I can get you an interview with a, an MP unit, would you go there? And I said, yeah, I mean, I'll give it a shot. So here, there's no MP unit um, that was open that day. So he happens to take me over to a CID unit. Uh, the, I think it's the only one on Fort Dix, uh, the 348 CID. And they take me in. They literally interview me that day. They just happened to be there for drill also. I was kind of meant to be. Um, and I find out later going to that unit that we never drilled. Uh, we just kind of like signed the paperwork that we were there and everybody rolled out. So everyone happened to be there that day. Um, They're interviewing me and the three people interviewing me are uh, um, one of the army's few CW fives, a guy who runs the FBI Newark division, but he's also, I think he was a CW three and this other guy who was a CW one, but he's like up and coming about to be a legend in CID. Like this guy, Mo pops for days and he'll just, I don't know specifically what he does with the Pentagon, but he'll just deploy on his own. Hmm. Well, in the middle of the meeting, this guy jumps up and, like, leaves the meeting after I start talking about uh, Philadelphia police and, and my my dad and my history and what I want to do. And he comes back in, and he's like, are you Joe McCabe's son from Philadelphia police? And I was like, yeah, that's, that's my dad. He was, like, from narcotics. And I was like, yeah, that's my dad. My whole family's cops. I have, like, 12 cops. He's like, dude, you're in. He was like, if it wasn't for your dad, my, my uncle would have been in a lot of trouble. And I never really questioned that or even – thought about it. But I went home. I was like, dad, what the hell does this guy mean? He would have been in a lot of trouble. And my dad told me the story of these, you know, five Philly cops who maybe two or three years prior to that had gotten jammed up from some drug dealer that it ended up they were lying. Um, but a few overzealous FBI agents kind of pushed the issue and uh, jammed these guys up. And if it wasn't for my my dad's uh, corroboration or testimony or something, they, they would have been in a, in a shit ton of trouble. So I ended up getting into CID. And what I was told after was they took me because of that, but that there was a um, either a colonel or a captain. I always say colonel. I'm pretty sure they said colonel that was willing to take a demotion to E5 so that he could easily uh, go civilian CID. Because once he got the training in the military, to go civilian was uh, easy. So I was like, I felt bad. But apparently he was the other guy there. And honestly, I don't think, you know, it's a CID unit. They don't allow officers. So I don't think they wanted an officer among the ranks anyway. But um, but yeah, that's how I ended up in CID. So it was a cool story.
0: Yeah, that's wild. All right. So you get done with CID, you decide not to go civilian CID. What
1: what made you decide to Like what, where'd the real estate journey pick up? So while I was, um, I guess, kind of simultaneous to my last year of college. I was, I had gone to, you know, part of what I left out is that I had gone to MP school. I'd gone to MPI school. I'd gone to multiple FBI courses on interrogations and everything else. And uh, I was just doing anything I could to make a little bit of money because I was, I had finished my real estate courses. I was training people at LA fitness. And that first six, you know, I'd started real estate and those first six months of real estate, I hated it. I was like, man, this sucks. Like I didn't realize that no one handed me leads or no one was really going to, hold my hand, um, and help me. And so I end up meeting with this guy at the gym who I've known him for years. He was just like this scraggly old man. And I never really thought anything of it. And one day I'm talking to him and I was like, he's like, can you spot me? I said, sure. I'll spot you. He's like 96 and he's bench pressing 225. And I noticed he had a Rolex on. And I never saw a Rolex before, so I was like, "Oh, that's pretty cool." He's like, "Yeah, I got this from selling real estate." And I was like, "Really?" I was like, "I just got licensed." He's like, "I own Mazer Real Estate. I used to have, you know, he goes in his whole story. how we owned uh, five thousand units, and he still does property management. He does hard money, and I said, "Oh, I want to learn to do that." I was like, "Cause sales sucks," and he was like, "Oh, don't make that mistake." He said, "I'll tell you what. You buy and sell for two years, and you call me when you sell, when you make seventy five thousand, and we'll." we'll talk. So I make 75,000, like six months. I like blow through it. That's, that's what I needed. And, um, I meet with him. He teaches me, he basically hands me a 91 property portfolio. And he's like, I want you to sell this for me, but I don't know anything about you. Know, Cause he doesn't know anything about the internet. So of course I'm like, why don't you just sell it? You're a broker. Um, and at this time I'm at Keller Williams, um, in Langhorne. Yeah. So I bring that over. And of course, Keller Williams does their thing. They're like, Oh, you, can't, you can't handle this. You can't list this. They try to take the listing from me, give it to someone else. I was like, fuck you guys. I'm, I'm selling this portfolio. I was like, it's easy. I'll put it online. I'll put it on Craigslist. I'll put it on LoopNet. And um, so I end up actually going back and forth, selling this multiple times to different buyers and uh, the seller would always fight with them over like little amounts of money, like 50 grand, a hundred grand on a $14 million deal. And it ends up that deal dies. But before it dies, I end up realizing that I could give him the amount of money that he wants. I could give him the exact number because he was already selling them for a discount. So I said, Bob, why don't you sell or finance these for me and give me 60 days and I'll refinance out of the deal and you can hold the deeds in escrow. And we'll just record them once we have a conditional loan approval. And he's like, okay, that's, that's actually uh, genius. And I was like, well, yeah, let's do it. I was like, then I would own 91 properties. You could teach me how to invest for real. And you already know the properties inside and out. You can manage them. It like, it made perfect sense. And um, this is where my army story comes full circle. So after that, I find out that um, his partner, Mel Stein probably shouldn't use the name, but anyway, no one knows who he is. Turns out he was in jail for 10 years. He was the guy. Well, believe it out. Yeah. (laughs) He was the guy laundering the money for those five cops that got jammed up. And he kills the deal with Bob and says, he's not going to sell it because he would rather individually renovate these and sell them on market. So of course I, you know, I, I'm like, Bob, you're going to die before you even get any of that done. You know, I, I start really hard selling them. And to this day, him and I keep in touch, actually. Um, he's my hard money lender in Philly. Uh, but so that army story comes full circle. So it helped me get in the army, but it helped me uh, lose my first 90 properties. Um, so that part sucked. But what I realized from that was that there was so much untapped potential and there was so much to learn in real estate that I basically use that to catapult myself into buying my first 77 units in real estate out in Pittsburgh. I use the same exact model. Um, then we bought uh, 34 in Detroit. We're doing 56 in Kentucky, like 79 in York PA, uh, just bought uh, six more last week. So just how we could stack units using almost no money out of pocket. Um, and that kind of led me to, well, I don't really want to be just a sales agent. Um, And of course I did sales up until last year, but right after losing that deal to Bob, I went and opened my own title company, um, you know, bought a Remax franchise, started a mortgage company. And I just realized that I was way better at, at scaling and, and helping manage people and help them grow their businesses. Even though I wasn't, you know, I'd never become a spectacular salesperson, but now I've taken agents from, you know, brand new to the business to zero to 35 units in like one year. Um, one of them even sold to CEO at tickets.com. So I got really good at doing that and um, Just providing services to the agents and kind of capturing every side of the transaction if, if you will so mortgage title homeowners insurance um, Giving the agents ownership in those different things and then teaching them to buy properties the same way so I realized I was better at all that but there is a cool story uh, that I like to tell, actually. The guy who told me about your podcast before I got invited to be on the podcast, he, um, he's a Philly cop. He's my partner. We own all our properties together. Uh, and this is where like just keeping in contact with people is so important and I never did it. And I'm really, that's one thing that I lack in for sure. So definitely keep in contact with everybody. He reaches out to me because he would see my post about Facebook or not Facebook on Instagram about real estate. And he's like, Hey, if you ever see a duplex for sale, I'm looking for, you know, a second one. And I'm like, yeah, okay. You know, I'll see what I can find. Um, but he wanted a deal and where he wanted a deal. There is no deal. Like you either go full price or you just don't get the duplex. So I kind of like blew off the message. And then a few days, like maybe 24 hours later, I was like, Oh shit. If he's buying his second house, he's got 30 grand. Well, at the time I had already had under contract, I had convinced these guys in Pittsburgh to sell me a hundred properties, hundred percent seller financed. I had no money, no security deposit, but I had a contract and, um, I had it even in place with the lender. I was using a, I think at the time it was, uh, it wasn't finance of America. It was whoever bought finance of America or, or sorry, whoever finance of America bought, I forget their name. And, um, and so he, I reached back out to him. And I'm like, Hey, I don't have a duplex, but if you give me that 30 grand that I know you have, we can buy 77 properties together. And he's like, what? He was like, you're out of your mind. And I was like, no, we really can't. We just need the appraisals. They have all this equity in them. And that's how him and I ended up, you know, reconnecting and, and he, he wired the money to the bank and, and we moved forward with that deal.
0: Man. So was that your, was that your first one? 77
1: our our first investment deal was 77 properties yeah
0: that's nuts man so how's how's that one going so far
1: so that took us actually um we we learned a lot about doing due diligence on deals uh we learned a lot about making bad deals Mm. and different things not to do on that and that took us 16 months to stabilize but i'll tell you what when we stabilized it we um you know we didn't take any of the crazy approach which is, I, I say this a lot on different podcasts, like people, you hear all these guys talking about adding storage units and doing all this crazy stuff that costs a lot of money. And we focus more on the simple things like, you know, just separately meter the units first of all. I mean, most of our stuff single family, but you'll be amazed at how many times you get a lease and the tenant, the landlord's covering like snow removal, um, uh, lawn care, utilities, things like that. And the other thing we do is we immediately dispute the taxes with the township, um, and in Pittsburgh that saved us uh, forty-five thousand in one year, and that was at our first level review. So they were paying seventy-five thousand. We got fifty thousand off after our second review of the taxes. Um, so we we were pretty aggressive with that, and that's all we needed to do to increase our cash flow. Um, you know, we did other things too. We we did a few renovations, increased the value of a few. Um, so that was nice, but those are stabilized now. We, we learned a lot of lessons, um, but the biggest issue with that, and for a lot of people who are going to attempt to do seller financing, you have to be, for most deals, and we've gotten lucky now that we have a track record and, and we haven't had to be as creative, but we had to be creative on this deal. And while they were willing to sell them to us, we had to you know, basically take possession of these properties. We had deeds in escrow. We essentially owned them. We were managing them, or at least switching the management over for the seller. Like that was part of our agreement. They had to be 95% occupied. They had to change management companies. Um, we we wanted all like FHA style repairs had to be done prior to the appraisals. So they needed, um, you know, anywhere more than two steps, they need a railing. Anywhere chipping paint, they need that fixed. That that type of stuff that you you know. That is so crucial. That's why being a sales agent is so crucial because you learn these stupid little things that are going to come up and can delay a deal. But we had learned, we had basically taken four sellers, four separate LLCs, put a purchase contract in place for all four LLCs, and then tried to refinance all four of these sellers to- together as one blanket loan. So that was our first mistake. Um, our second mistake was that one of the partnerships hated each other. And now they hate us to this day and they sold it to us, but they're just still mad now that they got, I guess what they consider to be a raw deal. Um, But we learned through their properties that, um, one, they lied about all their financials. Once we took possession, I mean, every financial was just a complete lie. Uh, they were mismanaged by the time we settled on the properties. Um, I mean, there were houses with doors kicked in. There were four houses with just the doors had, I guess the sheriff had finally evicted people and then they just didn't secure the door. So the door was just wide open and that had to have been wide open for maybe a month and a half by the time Carl and I got there. Um, so it, it was, we learned a lot of lessons there. Um, but the seller financing is just achievable. If you do, um, if you want to seek it out, you know, I use this that website called Crexy. It's out there. I, I just put out like hundreds of LOIs and people will call you back, especially in the single family world. And especially, um, I find that a lot of these single family home investors, you know, they're usually older guys that are looking to get out. A lot of them are prior military. Um, a lot of them have built their portfolios up the same way um, we are, or at least they did it one by one, but they did it creatively. And, you know, they're looking to sell the same way. So, when they see our offer at first, it sounds crazy, but you know, they've been on market for two years. So maybe they'll consider something, you know, there's not a lot of institutional money buying single family homes. So there's less competition for us. So it's kind of been our niche for now.
0: That's pretty cool. And yeah, seller financing is an awesome way to go. Okay. So I'm going to ask about something that you said in there that I've never heard of anyone doing before. So disputing taxes, how, like, what are you, how are are you disputing? Like, what are you, what are you, how does that work?
1: Yeah, there's entire law firms or real estate brokers, depending on the area, that that's all they do, and um, it really doesn't cost you anything most of the time. If it does, they'll ask for the filing fee. So in Pittsburgh, it didn't cost us. I don't think we paid anything. Maybe we gave the guy twenty five hundred because we had so many properties up front. But for twenty five hundred, we saved fifty grand. Yes. And yeah, for him, it was a no brainer. You know, he. He disputed these and we got all that money off at the first round. We didn't have to pay any extra for anything that came off in the first round of appraisals or sorry, disputes. And all that means is he fills out the tax form. He provides the agreement of sale. He provides some comps. Uh, This guy was a real estate broker in Pittsburgh, Uh, older guy, retired kind of like Bob Mazer, And he submitted this and he came back. He was like, guys, you won't believe what came back from the first level. And here, I guess the township was just seeing LLC. And they're like, cool, we'll choke these guys. And they were, I mean, we were paying more taxes for the same exact house, uh, almost like double, uh, than a, than a, you know, residential owner was. So, you know, so we, we do that. Um, we're doing it in Detroit now too. Theirs is a little more complex and you definitely need an attorney to do it. He charged us maybe a hundred dollars per property to, to do the filing. Um, and then some attorneys will take it on straight contingency, you know, give me half of whatever you save. Well, that's worth it. I mean, Because not only some of these take so long, like in Michigan, it's probably going to take us two years before we get a straight answer, but they're going to pay us back all the money for the time that we filed uh, for anything we saved. So you're going to get, it's kind of like getting, you know, a disability from the VA, you know, you get it from the day you file. Um, So it's, it, it works, man. And it's the quickest way for you to save money because chances are you are overpaying in property taxes. Um, It's definitely a little harder in blue states uh, or blue cities rather like Philadelphia, you don't stand a chance. Um, But Pittsburgh cities that are up and coming and need the revenue um, and they definitely want to see development going on. You know, we've, we've had a lot of luck.
0: Yeah. That seems like something that would be much harder in a, in a blue state.
1: Um, oh, Philly would just slap that down in a heartbeat. They, which, they could care less. Yeah, which not
0: to get into politics at all, but I think it's it's just interesting because there are some huge differences between how cities are run. And it's, it's crazy that people think it's not related to that. But anyway, uh, man, that's crazy. All right, so you got the 71-unit deal, which is stabilized and doing well. And then you went totally vertical and you've got a brokerage, a lending option, a title company, and an insurance, uh, home insurance. What a... I mean I I guess I would just ask like what's what's the goal what's next I mean that's a lot hey guys today's show sponsor is rentometer now rentometer for those of you not familiar is a phenomenal tool to help you understand what you can get for rent in your market now I've done some pretty extensive articles and YouTube videos on just this company because I love them and I absolutely love everything their app does because it will break down not only what your property could rent for based on just the zip code, the size and the the address, neighborhood, whatever. It'll give you comps and it'll even let you with the pro membership, which you can get some free trials of, it will let you pull up pictures of the actual houses that are competitive to you. So you can look at it and see, okay, well, if theirs rents for a thousand and I'm looking at theirs and theirs is better, well then I might be able I might have to go 950. But if I'm looking at their property and mine's nicer, maybe I can go 1050. I'll tell you what, the Rentometer membership will pay for itself within the first month of adjusting a property's rent in most cases because it's not very expensive. And I have seen people be able to charge $50, $100, $200 more in rent just by understanding their market and their property. So definitely look into Rentometer. I will leave a link down in the description if you're interested. It's no cost at all for you to play around with it and it will save you or make you tons and tons of money. So rentometer.com now back to this episode
1: yeah so the goal actually i, I got mm-hmm. invited on a, a podcast that really shifted our well forced me to shift my goals um i actually have a call with him soon but you know go abundance that organization Did you Absolutely. Them? Yeah, yeah. they're like a. yeah so i just uh joined that um but the only reason i found out about that was because pat hyben I was on his podcast and when we hung up, he's like, man, you really need to join GoBundance. So I said, all right, I'll join. Um, but when I was on his show, I had kind of talked about everything I did, obviously more real estate sales focused and all of these brokers started calling me like, how do you have a mortgage brokerage? You're not allowed to do that. You know, I heard that's illegal, you know, like all these crazy things, same thing as like people who don't invest in real estate cause their uncle told them it's, it's, a, it's bad or something. Yeah. yeah. Well, so I was like, well, you, can can own a brokerage. I mean, it's literally just a separate license, and you disclose it to the state. Like, you literally have to tell them that you own a real estate brokerage. And I've never gotten in trouble. And uh, Respa says it's cool as long as you're a shareholder. So, um, so like, I'm on the phone with all these real estate brokers, and I finally realized I was like, you know what? Why don't you just joint venture with us? So we went from my little brokerage uh, of nine agents and. Um, Uh, two loan officers at the time to now our mortgage brokerage, which is Homefront Mortgage or homefrontloans.com. If anyone wanted to check it out, they um, we ended up opening now in nine different States with nine different real estate brokers servicing hundreds of agents. We've got 25 plus loan officers now and growing. Uh, We've got joint ventures with other real estate brokers uh, across the country. Um, you know, Georgia, Connecticut, um, Connecticut's my favorite state. So I definitely love that one. Three in California, one massive one that we're going to do in Arizona and another massive one in, uh, Virginia. And those guys are on HGTV. Uh, the one partner's name is James and I, he was top 30 under 30 in the realtor magazine this year. So you know, these people are reaching out to me saying, how did you open all these companies? I'm like, well, let's just do a joint venture. I'll keep 51%. I'll do everything pretty much. And you guys get 49. Well, doing that and then going on all these pod after I went on Pat Hybens, that was a catalyst to go on other people's. We went from nine realtors in my REMAX office uh, to at, we're at 75 now. We'll probably be at 100 by March. Um, and I just, that's when I realized, and I'd always knew this about real estate from listening to Grant Cardone. But I like, I don't have the type of, um, time or net worth or dad to give me a check if things go wrong. So for me, it was like law of averages. So while I didn't enjoy necessarily my entire time at Keller Williams and everything they did, that was because I wanted to be in control. Their model for recruiting made sense to me, especially if you're able to, um, provide a lot of value to the agents and every office does it differently. My office was just bad, but you're, if you're able to provide value to agents and get them all producing and making money, like you're way better off with uh, 79 agents than than nine agents, I think. Um, And I was way better off scaling the mortgage company national. I just think that, you know, the minute that you, you know, a lot of people say to kind of hyper-focus your, your goals and pick one area to invest in and pick one city to focus on. And I, I just think that that's, that's a bad model. There's, there's money everywhere. And, uh, and I want to go get it. So thanks to Grant Cardone. I mean, that, that really shifted my mindset. I want to go get it. I like it. Yep. Man, that's
0: crazy how fast that blew up. I mean, that's just super cool. And going vertical is definitely the way to do it.
1: Yeah. Going vertical. And, and I learned, uh, from uh, reading Sam Walton's book uh, on Walmart, you know, finding a way to kind of give back to your your agents and make them partners or make them owners. I, I didn't realize this until I read his book that a lot of, um, you know, Walmart have made so many millionaires just from saying to their store managers, hey, we'll, we'll sell you shares in this store. And here he was doing it because he didn't have any money. He didn't really have a choice but to ask for their money for shares. Mm-hmm. But now some of those guys are worth 400, 500 million and they're still store managers at Walmart. So, um, So we started a program where um, our shareholders, our realtors and our loan officers and our title agents all have buy-in to right now, just our homeowners insurance company. But my plan is to expand that out uh, to create a parent company over everything and then have shares to all those agents, especially as the mortgage company scales national, so.
0: That's cool, that's a cool way to incentivize, keep people around. (laughs)
1: Yeah, definitely, can't leave now.
0: Yeah. 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 There's something in it for you. I mean, that's cool. I mean, I'm a huge fan of incentivizing and like finding ways to get teammates and people to be more involved. And and the best way to do that is to say, Hey, look, the better you do, the more you make, or the better you do, the more this does. And that, you know, um, and there's an instant buy-in with owning a small piece of the company that you're working for because the harder you work, the more valuable it becomes.
1: Right. Right. And we do recruiting incentives too, which um, you're with Keller, right? So yeah know-
0: yeah yeah I mean I'm just a referral guy right now I don't have
1: my California oh, Okay okay So you know how it works the the profit share We do a similar profit share too for our agents and and I kind of have like two or three agents that that's all they do you know they're literally like agent referral agents I mean yep. they just go out there and recruit for me and they have their other uh, full-time jobs and they just like to recruit and they do it for for, for free basically no cost up front anyway and um and I give them an attractive profit share. Yeah, that's smart. I mean, that's that's
0: the whole reason that EXP got so big so fast is because everybody's like, "Oh, right. look this. even though it's not a new model, people think it's a new model." But um, that was their whole thing. Everybody's like, "Oh, I can." It's kind of you know, but it makes sense because um, I mean, it just it just does. Like when I joined Keller Williams, I joined up under David Green, and yeah, right. I ever, if I ever do any business, right. I joined up and then I got stationed in California and then I realized how miserable of a process it is to try to get licensed in California, even if you're all, yeah. um, and I just, I don't have 60 hours to go to a California course and I'm only going to be here for 18 months. So it's like, eh, it's not worth going to. Right. Um,
1: but yeah, it's a, it's a great model. about to have a fire truck pass by me i hear it i I was doing i was doing good this whole time (laughs) um
0: (laughs) i think we'll i think the emergency personnel do their thing and we'll be okay with it
1: yeah it'll be good all right he's gone um but but yeah yeah, i I, I, um yeah the, the the vertical integration just you know i think that's a big thing for if there's any real estate brokers that that are listening you know there's there's a lot of real estate brokers and i and I know this now from Pat Hyman's podcast and these people calling me, like if you are not like there's not a lot of models that are going to be successful soon, you know, if if they haven't noticed the change in the industry. And, you know, I think that the model that that's going to make everybody most successful is to be either a boutique that's hyper-focused in some type of niche in real estate or the massive brokerages where you have hundreds of agents, um, but that won't be enough either, those two. You need to branch out and have ancillary services. And it's amazing to me how many people at least don't have title. See, I thought every real estate broker had title. I didn't even think that that was a question. I didn't think anybody thought of it. You, know, you just had title because everyone in Philadelphia does. But if you don't have title mortgage at a minimum, you know, you're going to have a hard time because profit margins are shrinking and the agent's getting more and more. And it's going to be, and they're going to want, not only do they want more and more money, they want more and more value. Um, And you need to deliver that. And I'm not saying that, you know, these other companies like um, EXP or Compass, these hedge fund backed or these bank backed companies are are going to be necessarily successful. I don't think that they're ever going to reach REMAX or Keller levels, Um, but they are going to cause a problem for quite a while. And, you know, I, I find that a lot of agents go there and come back but you did lose them for that short amount of time and that that's going to hurt. So I think it's just, you know, it's important to stay ahead of that. And um, you know, you are a business person and you need to find other ways to make money.
0: Yeah. I think you hit on a huge point there. That's super important for so anyone as an agent or as anyone. Right. And uh, people uh, don't like to hear it, but you got to change with the time. You can either sit around and say, oh man you know i missed the way things were or you can say hey this is kind of where stuff's going how do i make this work for me and the more right. more successful people that i know are either going completely vertical or bringing in other ancillary services even even if it's not in the brokerage side uh corey demoto who i don't know if you've met him yet but he's in go um huge huge house flipper out in hawaii He's doing, I mean, tons and tons and tons of deals out there. Probably one of the biggest, if not the biggest, house flipper on the island of Oahu a couple of years ago, and he's still flipping houses. But he's also now got construction, real estate broker brokerage, oh wow. hard money lender, um, you know, whatever. Uh, and the hard money lending is probably his, his most, uh, his biggest focus point right now. Uh, but he brought everything in house, vertical, and and man, he's crushing it. And you know, and I know a lot of people who do that. And it's just. Uh, that's, that's the way to go.
1: Yeah. I think there's not, there's not a lot of opera. You know, I think I said this in the beginning about like you hear a different message about uh, maybe I didn't, but like single family and multifamily and commercial real estate, right? You could listen to three different guys and they're all die hard. Like you can't, you don't do multifamily. You do single family only. and like, that's insane. Like to just lock yourself into one industry and say that I'm going to be successful right here. Like why, while I am a graduate, and I'm like, yeah, I'm going to run a successful REMAX no matter how many agents get recruited to Keller my area. Sure. But I also think that you have a better chance at having these multiple streams of income. You know, if a good commercial deal comes up, you should buy that too. I hate flipping, but if a good flip comes up, I'll flip it. You know, it. but I prefer to buy single family real estate or multifamily, but I'm not going to turn down a good commercial deal. Just like, you know, uh Carl and I are looking at uh for daycare businesses right now. They cash flow like crazy in the city. Like I'm not just locked into real estate. Um and I don't think that the message that you hear from a lot of people that, you know, you really need to focus in one thing. Like maybe you should have some one main focus, but you need to dev- diversify um and you can put your focus into more than one thing trust me yeah Uh, it's 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 not as hard as it sounds
0: i think i think the idea is like if you have one main stream and then you can kind of branch from that as long as they're all somewhat uh synergistic right so like the same way i prefer buy and holds right and i like anything from one to so far my favorite property is a 10 unit and I've been involved in everything up to a 40. Uh, I'm under contract on a one forty-six GP syndication right now. And uh, yeah, yeah, that's cool. It's a whole new world for me. It's exciting. But uh, you know, but, and I've done the house flip thing and I've done some that went well and I've done one that's going terrible right now. And, you know, and I, I, it's I have my preference, but they're all somewhat synergistic. I mean, I'm Airbnb rooms out of my house right now. Um, Right. And it's just, you know, I think, I agree and I understand like, yes, if you focus, you'll get really good at it, but I don't believe in like putting the blinders on so much that I say no to everything that comes by that could also work. as long as it's somewhat in your niche. I mean, I wouldn't necessarily advocate for like, I'm a buy and hold real estate agent. I'm a buy and hold real estate agent. I'm a buy and hold real estate agent. And I started a restaurant
1: like that might not work. Yeah. So yeah well, that but, might be different, yeah. you know, um. <laughs> or a stockbroker. Don't become a stockbroker overnight. <laughs>
0: yeah. Like obviously within the, the sphere of influence, but I agree completely. Like there's nothing that should stop you from looking at a buy and hold and a flip like if right, work and you know, your market, then, you know, Cool. Well, hey, uh before we wrap this up, I got a couple of questions I'd like to ask. Uh, one is if sure. you were to talk to a young E1E2 18, 19-year-old, what advice would you give them if they were asking about uh,
1: getting started in real estate or life? Yeah, and, um that that old military term embrace the suck um is probably the thing that has helped me hold on the longest. Um, you know, the the shit that that you hate in the everyday military world, the the dumbass jobs. The, uh, the crawling through the sand, I mean, the stupid shit that they make you do really helps you hang on there when things get tough. You know, when you finally do a deal and you get sued or you um, have a business that's not making money right away or you do a flip that isn't successful or, or something like that. I mean, that embrace the suck mentality, that's everything. <laughs>
0: That's going to be my quote on Instagram today. I love it. Um, I mean, you're right too. I mean, it, it, that's it, right? Like I'm in, uh, you, you mentioned lawsuit. i am been in a lawsuit for over a year now. Hopefully get a court date yeah. in June on a commercial property and, and and I'm actually the one suing, but you know, that wasn't exactly a fun situation, but I've bought property
1: since then. It's not going to stop me. Yep. It's yep. That's, that's what you got to do. You just got to keep going. Just got to yeah. keep going. It all ends. The bad stuff ends.
0: Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) One way or another, right. Even if it's in a ditch and at one point, Hey, Mm -hmm. who cares? So
1: (laughs) yeah, even if it's not in your favor, at least it's over. And at least, you know, you're moving forward.
0: Yeah. What's uh, what's one resource book, course, website, whatever that you would recommend to anyone uh, get started in real estate or business?
1: Well, um, a specific book that I would say kind of, kind of is the most important thing, uh, more than like the educational, because I didn't know anything about real estate. I didn't know anything about, besides my sales, I didn't know anything about real estate investing. I didn't know anything about running a mortgage brokerage. I'm not even a loan officer. And I didn't know anything about title, but I opened all of those. And I think that, you know, if you're going to go with one singular book, the 10X rule is probably the single most important concept that that you need to understand about just the massive action and kind of Um, I think he uses an octopus as his logo, but like what he's saying is like to reach into multiple things and have, have yourself out there all the time and, and jump on every podcast you can get on and and just really putting yourself out there. Um, But these audio books in general are just crucial because you can, and podcasts, like uh, between audio, audible and the podcast stuff, I mean, you could just listen, you can learn anything that you can possibly need to learn in real estate. And instead of listening to the radio or TV, listen to a podcast when you're working out at the gym. I mean, for two, three hours, I just listen to podcasts all day or audio books. So, but the 10X rule has got to be the first one and listen to it multiple times a year if you can. Yeah. Yeah. It's a good
0: one. It's a good, good mentality to have to go bigger, go home. Yep. Um, all right. So uh, before we wrap this up, anything you'd like to add, any parting advice or big ideas that we missed?
1: Um, the only thing that I would add for people uh, that a mistake I've, I've made a few times is just be really careful who you uh, partner with. You know, don't be, don't be so excited to partner. And, and you're going to do it anyway, and you're going to screw up with a partner. But um, when you do it, at least don't give up control. And uh, leave it so that you're not in a 50 50 situation. Someone has to make that decision. And, you know, I had a partner in on my uh, mortgage, real estate, and title business that I didn't even mention. And, you know, not only did he take money from the business, but he was kind of content where he was. And that hurt me a lot because I didn't want nine agents. You know, I wanted five million agents. I really don't have a cap on it. So just be careful who you partner with. And if you're going to do it, make sure you maintain control or make sure that you have a synergy like Carl and I, and, um, you know, Carl does not make the deals. He doesn't, he helps find the deals, but I make the deals and he analyzes all the numbers. So that's where Carl and I work really, really well together. And then both of you just need to know your role. You know, I don't touch the numbers and he doesn't really get involved in the negotiations unless we need, unless I fuck something up and then I have Carl step in. So, um, but just make sure that whoever you work with, there's a synergy.
0: Yeah, that's huge, uh, and I agree completely. I, I The lawsuit I'm in is with a partner, and even through oh, all that, go. he's been incredible, right? Like, I'm not suing sure a yep. partner, but... Um, right, yeah. But, but you know, like, it's it's been the whole time I've been the operations guy, and so everything has just been, paid hey, updates? Nope, all right, cool, let me know. And like, I'll bring stuff to him, and he's just like, okay, well, I trust you, make a decision. Yeah. you know, It's great, um, but I've had relationships before where it's like, I paid you for this, um, are you going to do it? You know, it's so right. You just got to make right. sure you <laughs> absolutely agree. That's huge. And, and you're to just piggyback off what you said. Yeah. Everybody listening to this at some point, you're going to screw that up. <laughs> so yeah. Biggest variable in everything. All right. So, Hey, where can people get a hold of you, brother?
1: Yeah. Anywhere they want. I mean, anyone, you know, if they just Google Joe McCabe Realtor, I pop up everywhere. Um, but if they just go to, uh, if they want to just, you know, follow me on Instagram and, and shoot me a DM, I always respond to people. Um, I just help mentor a couple guys, uh, for free help by 34 units in Detroit. So, um, they can follow me. It's, I think I'm Joseph C McCabe on Instagram, uh, or they could shoot me an email, Joe at homefrontloans.com And, uh, yeah, I'll get back to you as soon as I can and anywhere I can help.
0: Awesome. Well, hey, I really appreciate you joining me today. This has been fun.
1: Yeah, definitely. Thanks for having me on.
0: Absolutely, brother. Have a great day.
1: I'll talk to you.
0: Thank you for listening to another episode about my journey from military to millionaire. If you liked it, be sure to visit from military millionaire dot com slash podcast to subscribe to future podcasts. While you're there, we'd love for you to rate the show. Give us a review on iTunes. Now get out there and take action.